0: I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talkin' Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper, and let's get rolling. Some things just don't go as planned. No matter how hard you try, there are some things that you just can't control. And on Saturday, I think that was the case for, for Hugh Freeze and for Auburn fans like, no one wanted a day to be that way as far as the weather went. Everyone wanted a beautiful day. You're having the, the Frank Thomas statue uh, that was going to be unveiled. So you've got everyone super excited about everything that that is going on. Uh, but you can't control the weather. And uh, it, it was what it was on, on Saturday. But there are still some things that uh, I think we can uh, take away. Uh, from from this Saturday and this eight a day, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're also gonna talk a little bit about Auburn baseball. It's unfortunately been the same story over and over and over again uh, this season for this uh, Auburn baseball team. We're gonna talk about Auburn basketball, who added a transfer and lost a coach this weekend. So what does that mean for the Tigers in hoops? We'll we'll discuss that, and we're also gonna talk about a familiar name. Uh, coming up here uh, later on in the in the show in our in our last segment that Auburn fans should be very familiar with and talk about a little connection to Hugh freeze but let's start with a day as as I mentioned there at the beginning it is hard to take away a ton from a day just just being completely completely honest with you it, it is very uh difficult uh, to to do so because of the weather because we didn't get to see much did, did pretty much a running clock, said they were going to do a 60-minute running clock, changed it to quarters, but then we didn't have a third quarter and said we did a 15-minute fourth quarter. So it was adjustments on the fly. The defense started out with 24 points, and then the offense was going to try to match that. In the end, it ended in a tie. I was watching it on uh, SEC Network Plus. Hugh Free really seemed to want to end it in a tie because the winner's were supposedly going to get steak. Losers were going to get hot dogs. So everyone got steak, I guess. on On Saturday night, ending in a tie. I'm not sure that uh, the defense necessarily wanted that. But the offense there in the end uh, probably did, just so they didn't have to eat hot dogs. Uh, so they ended up kicking a uh, a field goal there uh, to end. Alex McPherson hit the field goal there, a thirty-something yarder, to finish the game at 24. 24- 224. So what were some things that stood out to me? Again, like I said, it was hard. It was a very small sample size. Uh, there were multiple guys that were held out. Jarquez had a few carries at the very beginning, and that was it for him. Jeremiah Wright was held out on the offensive line. Tate Johnson was held out on the offensive line. Camden Brown was held out at receiver. Keontae Scott and Donovan Kaufman were both held out in the secondary. Those are all guys who are going to be starters, who are going to be major contributors. But due to some injuries that they had to deal with in spring, plus the weather, they were, they were too valuable uh, to, to have that risk uh, of playing them, especially in the sloppy conditions that, that they were dealing with on Saturday. So those guys were held out. But I'm going to start out with the biggest thing that I liked, and that was the offensive line. I just mentioned that Jeremiah Wright and Tate Johnson were held out. Those are probably going to be two starters for you on the offensive line at both your guards, at your left and right guard position. Yet, I still liked what I saw from the offensive line. You know, that tells me me there's a chance there could be some depth there. That tells me there's a chance that you've got maybe seven guys, maybe even eight guys who can play offensive line this year for you and still have a solid team up front. It also tells me that Avery Jones at center can hold his own. It tells me uh, that Dylan Wade... Uh, offensive tackle can hold his own, and Gunnar Britton, at, at the other offensive tackle, can do the same, even with a maybe some backup guards in there. It tells me Connor Liu, who, who like I, we talked about a ton on this show, has the potential to be a very good offensive lineman and can contribute this season. And even someone like Cam Stutz, who I don't expect to be a starter this season, But he does provide some depth. Someone who has played a lot of snaps for Auburn just hasn't been super, super uh, talented or or been super successful up front, but he does offer you some depth, and he was able to find some success, it seems, on Saturday. So I very much liked what I saw from the offensive line. gives me a lot of excitement that maybe this will be a strength. I've held off on that, on saying that, that the offensive line will be a strength, and I'm still not completely there. I think it will be better, and, and this 8A gives me confidence that it will be better. I'm not to the point where I want to say it'll be a strength yet. I know some are there, but it could be. It certainly could be, so that'll be something we'll continue to watch, and I don't think it's a judgment that we're going to be able to make until we get a few games into the fall season. Besides offensive line, I think you got to like what you saw in the running backs. I mentioned that Jarquez Hunter only had about three carries, but Sean Jackson, how about the day he had, uh, was a former walk-on, put-on scholarship, someone who's down the depth chart a little bit. But those are type of guys that typically have a chance to stand out during A-Day because they get lots of carries. Cadillac Williams called him the best pass-blocking running back. Will he find a, way, a spot uh, away on the field in the fall? I don't know. Probably still unlikely, but he at least made a name for himself. Maybe he got some attention. Maybe they've been seeing that from him. It's going to be tough for him to get snaps, considering you've got Brian Batty, who looked really, really good, like what I saw from him, and you got Damari Austin back there. But maybe, but maybe. So for Sean Jackson, it was a very good day. You love a good story like his is being a walk on and and showing out, and maybe you you find a way into the rotation. So that was big for him. But Brian Batty, I thought he looked really shifty. Um it was good to finally see him live in in an Auburn jersey or practice jersey at least. Um, he's a different he, he's a speed back for sure, but he he's different than your your smaller scat backs that we've seen from Auburn in the past. He knows how to avoid the big hits. He's a patient runner. He can find the holes. Uh, so I, I liked what I saw from him. Will he be the true number two? Will, or will Damari Olsen have that role? I'm not sure. Is is Brian Batty going to be a situational back? That, that's kind of what I'm leaning, and Damari Austin being your more, your two every down back. They're all three going to get plenty of snaps. So this offense, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, is going to need to be run heavy. So you're going to need to have that depth at running back, meaning you're going to need Batiste to, to be able to carry the ball 10-plus times a game. Damari Austin the same. to give Jarquez Hunter some breathers, Uh, especially as you're running an up-tempo offense and running the ball a lot. you got to have depth at that running back position. I think Auburn does. I think running back room is going to be a strength. I think even Hugh Freeze mentioned that he knew about Jarquez Hunter. He didn't know about DeMari Alston and that Damari Alston probably better than he gave him credit for. That's great to hear. And then finally, the two two other players that stood out to me again. I've already talked about Connor Liu and this offensive line. He he had some really impressive blocks. Uh, if you go back and watch some um, the the film and really dissect uh, what he did, again, he doesn't look the least bit like he should still be in high school, which he should be, and yet he has a chance to be a starter uh, for Auburn come this fall. Just a really impressive player. Somehow he was a three star. I, I that was a misevaluation uh, on the recruiting sites, recruiting industry. But luckily, it wasn't a misevaluation by the Auburn staff, and they were able to land him because uh, he was a huge hit for them. And then Kay and Lee. Kay and Lee made a really good play on a fade in the red zone. I know people may be looking at the the um, seam route that Robbie Ashford uh, completed where Kay and Lee was kind of involved there. Uh, that was really good design offensively. I give more credit to the offense for that than a knock on the defense. But Kay and Lee looked good. I thought in coverage, uh, his knowledge uh, of way things should work or is at a high level for another player that should still be a senior in high school. So those two stood out. We talked about them all spring. They're going to be major contributors again. We can. Uh, include Keltrick Falk in that group as well. Maybe some others. Again, I didn't see a ton from Keltrick Falk, and that's why I wanted to just point out these two uh, from the game uh, on Saturday. As for concerns, again, I'm not trying to make too big a deal of of anything, again, because this was a small sample size. Obviously, you can take a concern about the defensive line. Gave up around 300 yards rushing. We can make it a positive about the offensive line and at the same time make it a negative about the defensive line. It it was sloppy conditions. Yes, Auburn only threw the ball about twelve times, meaning they ran constantly, hardly ever threw it, so that that wears down the defensive defensive line a little bit. Uh, you're also rotating. You're still they're still figuring th- things out up front. I have confidence that the defensive line is going to be fine. I really do. I I don't think it's going to be a dominant force, but I like some of the transfers that Auburn has brought in. Uh, I think I, I'm still excited about the development of Jeffrey Emba. Uh, I am concerned about the outside, linebacker edge, jack, linebacker position, whatever you want to call it. But I still have confidence in the defensive line. But when you give up that many yards rushing, there there is a, a sense of concern that I think you do have to have, and they have to, you have to reevaluate maybe things a little bit. But again, this was a small sample size. The coaching staff has seen the whole spring. So they'll, they'll look at it. They feel like they've got to go get another defensive lineman in the portal in this next cycle. I believe they will. And wide receivers. We knew this was a concern. There's been a ton of talk about wide receivers. Uh, as much talk there have been about quarterbacks, I think there's been almost as much made of the receivers. And when you don't have a, a just a stud QB, the importance of having a really good wide receiver room increases substantially. There's talent in this wide receiver room for Auburn. But Talent's one thing. Actually getting production from this room, consistent production, is a whole nother. I do believe Auburn's going to look to add another transfer wide receiver. I, I don't make much of the receivers from this game. Again, it was terrible conditions. It was pouring rain. There were drop passes. I get that. I'm, I'm taking more of the concern in a holistic approach looking at the spring overall. I think there's concern about this wide receiver room. I mentioned Camden Brown, probably Auburn's best receiver, being out with an injury. Uh, that that also plays a role, but I think Auburn's going to look if they can to go and try to get an alpha wide receiver in the portal, or at least someone who can elevate this room. Again, I like Landon King, I I, I like um, Nick Mardiner, I like Jay Fair, I I, I like Don um excuse me Tavares Dawson, um Javarius Johnson, I like all those guys, but somebody's the cream's got to rise to the top, and and it hasn't so. So far, and so that has to give you concern about the receivers room again. What something's gonna that we will follow. Receivers have been poor the last couple of seasons, uh, and Hugh Freeze has his work cut out for him. I think he's gonna bring in a loaded receivers class in this upcoming high school recruiting class for next season, but that's next season. We're talking about the here and now. So, what's he gonna do there? Something to follow, and then, of course, yes, we're concerned about the quarterbacks that hasn't changed. I, I know I, I took almost this whole segment before finally getting to the quarterbacks, which I'm sure is what most are interested in hearing uh, about. As far as who had the best day, Robbie Asher, I, I mentioned I'll be interested to see who got the first snaps. Robbie Asher got the first snaps. I thought he looked the best uh, of the quarterbacks. Did he have the advantage because of the conditions? Absolutely. His strength is not passing, and with the way the weather w- weather was, Auburn was running the ball more. You saw him uh, keep it on a couple of RPOs and look really good uh, doing so. He did have a really good pass on a seam route. I forget who the receiver was now that I talked about a second ago when discussing Kay and Lee. That was a really good play. He looked the most comfortable, and that's really what I'm getting at here. He looked the most comfortable on the offense. Not necessarily the results, although he was the best as far as results went as well, but he just seemed like the offense fit him, and it does. He is a quarterback who fits this U-Free system more so than, than T.J. Finley most definitely, but even Holden Gurner, Robbie Asher fits this system better. So while he looked the best, am I super confident if he's the QB come the fall? No, I'm not. I haven't changed my opinion on that. I still believe Auburn is going to do their best to land a transfer quarterback, and I believe a transfer quarterback will be the guy come fall. Again, that's my personal opinion, but even Hugh Freeze has said as much. They are still looking for a transfer QB. So I'm not saying anything that Hugh Freeze hasn't. I just know that they're still many with the belief that even though Hugh Freeze has said that, even though Auburn might might bring in a transfer QB, I know there's still a, a widely held belief that Robbie Ashford will still be the quarterback in the fall. I just don't hold that, hold that belief. I would love nothing more than for a current guy and I've said this before, a current quarterback on this roster to be the starter. I, I would love that. I would love for Robbie Ashford to be at the point where he is good enough to be the starter or Holden Garner or TJ Finley I just don't think it's going to be the case. I think Robbie Asher's developed this spring. I believe that. I believe he's grown as a QB. I just don't think he he is at the point to where he is good enough to be a starting quarterback for a team that is looking to win championships in the SEC. And I'm not saying this roster is a quarterback away from winning the SEC championship next year. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying we want to be the best best that we can be? And does Robbie Asher give us the chance to do that? With the current quarterbacks on the roster, it seems like that is the case. But if you have the opportunity to add someone outside of this current roster, maybe not. I'll have more to finish up the quarterbacks uh, in just a second when we come back from this break. We'll be right back on Talking Tumors. Fire. Back to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. As I finish out before we went to break, I was discussing the quarterback situation, and I didn't quite get to finish my thoughts uh, on that. So what I want to trans um, move on to now is I want to talk about the comments made by T.J. Finley and Robbie Ashford after the spring game. The quarterback spoke, and I thought both said some things that, that stood out to me. First, T.J. Finley was asked about what he will do if – Auburn brings in a transfer quarterback. And his response was, I'm not sure. To me, I believe TJ Stanley's time on the Plains is quickly approaching its end. I, I know that's been a wide held belief by some before we even started this spring, and I believe it's a wide held belief by many now. And I I am joining in on on, on that. I do believe that he competed for the spring, and I do believe he went into the spring believing that he could win the job and doing everything he can to win the job. I'm not saying he – at one point I kind of thought he was just going through the motions. No, I really do think he, he, he wanted to give it a chance, give Auburn a chance again, give himself a chance again to compete for the starting quarterback position this spring. But I think he's going to examine things now. If it seems like he's on the outside looking in and Auburn does bring in a transfer quarterback – then I I do think he 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 will transfer out after he graduate as a graduate transfer. I do think he is close to graduating. That's my opinion. Again, I it's limited knowledge, but that is my opinion. Just reading tea leaves based on what what he has said. If Auburn doesn't bring in a transfer quarterback, I still lean to him to him leaving. Because again, it certainly le- looks like Robbie Ashford is is leading the charge right now, and Holden Gurner may be in second. Even TJ may be. Might be in third overall. I don't know that for sure either. Hugh Freeze didn't put a depth chart up there for the quarterbacks, but that's just kind of my take. And then the other comment was Robbie Asher's comment on Hugh Freeze, and I don't have the direct quote, uh, but to summarize, Robbie Asher discussed how he's gotten a lot better coaching by Hugh Freeze than he did by the previous regime, and he was careful not to take shots at, at Brian Harson or, or the previous coaching staff. He just said the truth. Like I feel like I've developed better, I've grown more as a quarterback and I, and I've learned more. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. That means you at least right now looks like you made the right hire because you've improved your team. And that's that's what you do when you move on from coach, you're looking to improve your team at least marginally, at least in some way in the first season. Eventually you want to improve drastically but you at least want to improve a little bit year in and year out and it seems so far without even playing a game yet that Auburn has at least done that and another thing on, on Robbie Ashford I just want to give him credit I I believe in in his comments he is talking to the media a lot this spring I think he's handled himself extremely well Hugh Freeze talked about it he he has talked about the concerns was with, with some of uh Robbie Asher's behavior on the sideline on the field and as a quarterback you've got to be composed you've got to be a leader you, you you can't lose control of your emotions. That's not easy as an athlete look I played sports and believe me I, I lost control of my emotions plenty uh, through throughout my years of, of playing sports. It's not easy to control your emotion that doesn't mean that he wants Robbie Ashford to be emotionalist. You just got to be controlled because you're a leader. People are looking to you as a quarterback differently than they're than they're looking at the left guard. It's just it's just the way it is, and and so Robbie Asher needed to take that next step in maturity. He needed to mature, and it seems like he's taken a big step this spring. That doesn't mean that he's not going to have bad days. That doesn't mean that he's not still going to have times where where he does fall back to some of the things that that he has hopefully matured past. But he has taken some steps, and I think that's huge for Robbie Ashford. And the way he's taught with the media, he's been very humble. He has said the right things, and I believe he has shown the right things this spring as well. And that, I want to give a lot of credit to Hugh Freeze for that, to Ken Austin, to Philip Montgomery, and most importantly, to Robbie Ashford, to looking himself in the mirror and say, I've got to grow up, I've got to change, I've got to develop. So he's done that off the field. I think he's gotten better on the field, and I know I, I say all that to still say I don't think he'll be the quarterback in in the fall, despite uh, all of this. And I know that that's a little bit ironic, and that's why though I say uh, I've said all those things about Robbie Asher. That's why I want him to be the guy because he has improved, because he has matured. I'm just not sure he's developed enough a- as a quarterback to be the guy for Auburn. I hope I'm wrong. I really and truly do. Um, but that's just kind of where I am on this quarterback position. But to kind of conclude this long overdrawn segment, just I want to give just kind of my final thoughts on where this Auburn program is and where they go from here. I love the excitement that's been built around this program. There's always excitement when you bring in a, a new coach. It's the honeymoon phase, whatever whatever you want to call it. There's going to be a natural Excitement is something new. You're selling your vision. It's easy to sell the vision. It's not always easy to implement it and to accomplish the vision. We're still in the selling the vision phase right now. Come September 2nd or whatever the official date is, that's the implement, the, the vision, and, and that's when the challenging part really begins. But there's excitement. The players seem to be bought in. The alumni, the donors, the boosters, the athletic program, seem to be all on the same page for the first time in a long time. The question is, will it remain that way? I certainly hope so. If it does, then Hugh Freeze is going to have a great chance to succeed here at Auburn, but we, we don't know uh, what's what what's that going to look like and what the future holds, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later on, if not on today's show, then on a future show to come. I also think this team has already drastically improved from last year. We haven't even gotten all the freshmen on campus that were signed in this recruiting class, but overall when they come in, Auburn will have added 34 new players to the roster and probably even more than that when you look at the spring uh, transfer portal that opens up on April 15th here in just three days. Auburn will probably add even more. They're going to lose some. Auburn did not have many guys transfer out in the first cycle because everyone wanted to, to see what the new staff was like, to, to see it they can formulate a new role than they may have had under the previous regime, and and some will have done so, and some will not, and so those who have not will end up transferring, so you will see probably more guys transfer out than you saw in the first cycle from Auburn, but you will add some more coming in. But again, the roster's already improved up front, defensive line, secondary, you name it, Auburn has improved their roster, and that's hats off to Hugh Freeze and the staff. But with all that being said, there's still a long way to go. This roster is still not where it needs to be at, to be a championship program cuz cons- compete for championships on a consistent basis. And that's fine. Hugh Freeze understands that as fans, we have to understand that and be patient. We should expect improvement. There's no doubt about that. And and the expectations, but the expectations should be reasonable. Yes, you should expect improvement. Yes, you should expect things to look better, to be better to for there to be more excitement, but also understand this roster isn't to a Georgia, to an Alabama level, to an Ohio State level at, at, at this moment. Hugh Freeze believes it can get there. I believe it can get there, but it's not there yet. So, got to continue to recruit. That's that's the biggest thing. Hit the portal hard for this season, but continue to recruit high schoolers to moving forward. And I believe Hugh Freeze is going to do that. There's a lot of a lot of talk out there that that this recruiting next high school recruiting class could be a top 10 class. If you put a couple of those together, now we're talking. Now we're talking about a program that has the talent, at least, to be able to compete for championships year in and year out. Again, there is a lot that is still to unfold here for Auburn, but you got to like where the program is at, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing where it continues to go. Again, the transfer portal opens up at the uh, end of this week, so we'll probably have some transfer portal news to talk about on next week's show. So we will still be talking about Auburn football, even though spring practice has ended and concluded. So, So don't worry if you're just here for the football. We will have plenty more on that. But let's switch subjects to Auburn baseball real quick. We've got a few minutes before we need to take our next break, so I'll try to get as much in on Auburn baseball as I can. Auburn lost their midweek game to Georgia Tech last night. They beat them at home earlier in the season in a long extra inning game, if you remember that. It was a walk-off. Well, Georgia Tech returned the favor walking off Auburn on a walk-off grand slam. Last night, Auburn fell behind. Uh, What's new there? They came back, battled back, took the lead in the top of the ninth before giving up the walk-off homer uh, in the an extra innings maybe I believe. Uh so not exactly the way you want your midweek game to go. But this team showed yet again, they battle. They give everything they have, game in and game out. For nine innings plus, they do that. And you gotta respect that about this team. But let's look back at this Texas A and M series. This was I mentioned this was a series Auburn did not need to lose. They lost it. Doesn't mean they're they're um Postseason hopes are, are gone or out the window. No, that that that's not the case, but it does hurt them, and it, it does mean that they they've got to make up some ground here in in, in SEC play. They lost the first game nine to five. A and was just better on that day. I can deal with that loss. It wasn't things that things happened in that game that that just happened in a typical baseball game. It was not an anomaly. Auburn didn't play poorly. A and M just played better on that day. Game 2 and Game 3 is where I get frustrated. Even though Auburn won Game 2. And and I put in my notes, Auburn won Game 2, 10-9. I went to that game, watched that one in person, and I put somehow, in parentheses, I put somehow because Auburn won 13 batters in that game, in Game 2, against Texas A&M. And A&M had the chance to tie it up. Chris Stanfield made an excellent play in left field throughout the tying runner at the plate. If the if the runner slides normally, instead of he slid around the plate and, and then, you know, you slide around the plate and then you try to touch your hand on the plate. He slides feet first and tries to touch home plate. With his feet, he's safe. a and him ties that game, probably goes on to win Game 2 against Auburn. He ends up sliding around it because he's assuming the throw, where it's going to be. He's trying to, you know, get his body around and avoid the tag. Well, by doing so, it allows... Uh, the catcher to receive the ball and then to tag him on the upper part of his body yet still get him out because of the way he slid. So ended up working out great for Auburn. Auburn wins that game 10-9 to in Game 2. It was a doubleheader because of the weather, but they gave themselves a chance to win the series, to sweep the doubleheader in Game 3, yet they dropped that game 12-6. to And before I get into the thoughts overall in the series, let's take... Our second break will be right back. Welcome back to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. As we went to commercial, I mentioned that Auburn baseball lost the series to Texas a That final loss coming 12-6 to in Game 3. They walked 12 batters in Game 3. They walked 13 in Game 2, in 12 in Game 3. Well, I'll let you do the math, but that's 25 walk batters. On Friday, that was, and, and it was a doubleheader, but 25 walk batters between two games. Two games. And you know how many they walked last night? 12. And in the Florida series, we had the same problem. This is a reoccurring theme for this Auburn baseball team. and It is simply inexcusable. There is absolutely no reason that a collegiate, collegiate pitchers, and it's not just one, collegiate pitchers should be walking this many batters. Look, I'm not saying that I know that you can't just throw it over the heart of the plate and you'll give up 100 runs in a game as you do that. I get that. I'm not saying that. But you should be good enough, especially at Auburn, at the at the highest of highest levels of college baseball, to be able to throw strikes, to be able to be competitive. Okay, if you give up a few runs. Fine. I'd rather that than for you to walk 13 batters in a game, 12 batters in a game. It, it it just is mind boggling to me, and I understand that this is an issue not just with Auburn, but with some other teams throughout the SEC and in college baseball this season. But I feel like Auburn's got to be one of the worst. I don't know the exact stats on it, but it's pretty bad, and that and it consistently happens. and And Butch Thompson, you could just see the frustration all, on Friday. Just the I just the almost I don't know what to do. Like I, these are we have to throw these guys. We don't have another choice. They've changed things up. They, they've they started sending uh, the, the pitching coach to, to the bullpen to warm up the pitchers. Butch has started doing the mound visits. They're trying different things. Like I said, they, they've changed it to where the your top relievers have been the starters and that seems to be working better. I like that. But then you've got the, the guys who are supposed to be your starters coming in relief and they can't throw strikes. I mean, Chase also has been horrendous. He really has been. To be a guy that Auburn had high expectations for this season. He's been really bad, and he's he has really struggled to find the strike zone. Tommy Sheehan has gotten healthy, but he also has struggled to find the strike zone his first couple of outings uh, coming back from injury. Something's got to give here for Auburn, or else they won't be a postseason team, or if they are a postseason team, they'll they'll quickly be eliminated. And It's just so frustrating uh, because this team is so good. Hitting the baseball, they—I mean—they really are one. And I've said it back to back weeks here on the show. They're one of the best hitting teams I believe in college baseball. Yet they've got pitching that is just embarrassingly bad. I mean, it—it it is horrendous, uh, and it, and it's just frustrating to me. And I can be on a soapbox about it all day. And and we've talked about the excuses that you can use. There's no excuses for not throwing strikes, though. I—I I don't care. There's there's just there's none. Put it in the strike zone, please. I'm begging you. There's something different about giving up, you know, nine runs due to walks or giving up nine runs due to hits. It's something that is a psychological issue with with a team. It's so deflating to walk batter after batter, and especially when you're hitting well, and just to see your pitching staff go out there and just give up walk after walk after walk. If you're giving up hits, it, it to me as a player, it wasn't as deflating. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, my guys out there getting rocked, but it's another. There's just nothing that you can do about walks as, as a player, where you feel like uh, with hit with hits, you can. You you it, it it doesn't knock you down like walks do. Can this team get it figured out? I think they can. Again, it just it starts with putting the ball over the plate, uh, but will they? That I don't know. They they face off in the iron bowl on the diamond this weekend at Alabama. Alabama is four and eight in conference play, twenty three and ten overall. They're coming off a home series loss, like Auburn. Again, Auburn has three conference wins. Bama has eight, so they're in a similar position. Both teams scrapping uh, to to improve their conference record and the record overall to position themselves. For the postseason, Auburn needs a series win this weekend. Will they get it? I'm not super confident in that based on just what we've seen from the pitching. They're going to have to hit really well. They And because of the lack of pitching, Auburn can no longer afford to have an off day at the plate. Because if they have an off day at the plate, then it's over with. Because you know your pitching is not going to be able to pick you up. And, and so it makes things tough. We'll see. I know I hate to be so negative on on baseball, especially this week. After I was a little bit on last week's show as well, but that's just kind of where I am with this team right now. But I certainly are still. I'm still holding out hope that they can get things figured out. And with that, let's go ahead and shift to basketball. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we have big news this weekend for Auburn basketball on two fronts. So let's start with Denver Jones. He is a transfer. Combo guard, I believe he will be the starting two guard for Auburn next next season. Comes in at six three six four, out of New Alabama, by way of Florida International University. That is FIU, where he played last year and was a star for FIU. I mentioned him, I believe, on the show as a likely transfer. For, for Auburn had interest from a lot of top programs, including Alabama, so big to get Denver Jones. I do believe he was Auburn's top priority in the transfer portal. He averaged over 20 points per game last season, shot 37% from three-point line. He is a true scorer, something Auburn desperately needed last season and was in search for in the portal, and they found it. Another interesting stat about Denver Jones is he shot over 40% on spot-up threes, meaning when he was past the ball and didn't take a dribble or anything, he shot the ball and he knocked down the three at a over 40% mark. That is a great stat. But he's also someone who can create his own shot. He can score at the basket. He can find ways to knock down shots when defended. I cannot wait to see him in, a, in this Bruce Pearl system. And i very much looking forward to having a two-guard who should be, at, at least if he continues the way he did this past season for FIU, a two-guard who can consistently score night in and night out and is an offensive threat. Auburn liked that. I think now Auburn is pretty satisfied with what they've got as far as guards go. I think they're they're happy with the the point guard position with Trey and Aiden Holloway. And then I think they like Denver Jones and Katie Johnson at the two. I love KD coming off the bench. I really do. I like his defense. I like his energy. I like his ability to get to the basket. I want to see him continue to improve his shot. He shot a lot better down the stretch from three. I'd like to see that continue to improve for him. But if he can do that, him coming off the bench and providing that energy and that defense I think is a really good thing for Auburn. So you're looking at either Trey Donaldson or Aiden Holloway starting at the one. And, and then Denver at the two. I know we we addressed it last week on the show, so I'm not going to dive back into that. I know there's some some concerns still about the point guard position, but Bruce Pearl is confident in what he has. He's confident in Trey Donaldson, and he's confident in Aiden Holloway. It doesn't look like Auburn is going to try to bring in a transfer point guard. But I don't think Auburn is done in the transfer portal either. They've still got question marks at the three, again, uh, with Alan Flanagan, More than likely, uh, moving on, I think Auburn's going to look to take two, three uh, three guys if they can, guys who can play the three. That can be a bigger guard, uh, but whatever it is, they're looking, I believe, for two guys to play the three, and in an ideal scenario, they're looking for what seems to be another big, someone who can play the four, maybe even another five possibly in, in the transfer portal if they're able to land them. The difficulty of landing a a four is more than likely you're agreeing to come be a backup to Jalen Williams that's why I think it may be tough for Auburn to land a really a really good four in the transfer portal uh, this, this this cycle I'm not saying it can't be done never gonna doubt Bruce Pearl on his recruiting ability but it could be challenging but in an ideal world Auburn is able to get three more transfers I believe and and that is that is a backup four and two guys who can play the three. I don't think you're going to have a hard time selling recruits to come play the three, even if you're trying to land two of them, um, because you can you can say you're going to have that competition. You don't have someone who's returning as a starter. So I do think Auburn could, could and will likely be able to land two guys who are going to be able to compete at the three and can play the three. We'll see. Who, who those players might end up being. But the four is where I think it's going to be a little bit more challenging to land. And then I think Auburn will still have another scholarship available to land, maybe a developmental center to to come in with Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell. I just think that's unlikely that anyone in the transfer portal is going to agree to come in and be a developmental guy. Uh, so that's a little bit of a of, of a wish, I think, maybe by the staff. But the key right now, again, is on the three-position Right now, you don't have anyone there besides Chris Moore. I think the most likely, again, this isn't ideal. In an ideal scenario, Chris Moore is kind of out of the rotation. No shot against Chris Moore. I think he plays a great role in someone who, who you like to have as maybe your 11-deep type of guy on scholarship who can come in, can play the 3, can play the 4 if he has to, but, but not someone you necessarily want to have in the, even in the 2-deep rotation. But realistically, I think Chris Moore will end up being either the backup three or the backup four, depending on what happens in the transfer portal. But I'd like to bring in two threes and I'd like to bring in a backup four. We'll see if that happens. Um, But in all likelihood, I believe Chris Moore will be in the rotation again next season as a backup at one of those two positions. But let's also talk about the loss and departure of Wes Flanagan. Been. If you remember, if you've been an Auburn basketball fan for a long time, you know Wes Flanagan was a uh, former Auburn point guard. Uh, play, again, played at Auburn Alumni. He was a uh, head coach at Little Rock, Arkansas, then came and joined Bruce Pearl's staff. Of course, I just mentioned Alan Flanagan, his son, has been on the team for the last four years. And now Wes Flanagan is leaving to take an assistant coach job at Ole Miss, he is with Chris Beard, who just got the job there. If you don't follow SEC basketball like I do, Ole Miss moved on from their head coach, Kermit Davis, and hired Chris Beard, the former Texas and Texas Tech head coach. But Wes Flanagan had been Chris Beard's assistant at Little Rock, uh, so they have a previous connection there. But with that being said, I still don't know why Wes Flanagan made this move. I know there's a reason. I just have not been able to find that reason, and, and it doesn't seem like anyone else has been able to either or at least haven't been willing to share it. I, I, what I do know is I don't think there was any bad blood between Bruce Pearl or Wes Flanagan or anything like that. Um, it's just odd to me that a, a, a coach would leave his alma mater somewhere where he's high up in the assistant rankings. It wasn't like this is... This seems to be a lateral move, and that's why it doesn't make sense to me why you would make a lateral move from your alma mater. I understand Wes Flanagan seems to want to be a head coach again, so I, I did think that it was only a matter of time before he would leave, but I thought it would be to take a head coaching job, not to take another assistant job. Now maybe he thinks I need to expand uh, my coaching tree a little bit. Maybe I need to go back with Chris beer get away from my alma mater, be an assistant elsewhere, try to kind of rebuild this, this old Miss program with Chris Beard, and maybe that helps me get a get a head coaching job sooner or a better head coaching job than staying at my alma mater, being at a proven, now what is a proven uh, success story in college basketball, with that being Auburn. So maybe that's his reasoning. I really don't know. I would love for him to say what his reasoning is uh, for leaving. Again, I don't hold it against him. I, I'm just gen- genuinely curious, and I don't quite understand the move, unless it is for a reason. Like I just like I just said, but that is a loss for Auburn. He has been a, a good recruiter and a very good coach for this Auburn basketball team. I don't have the slightest clue of where Bruce Pearl will go to replace West Flannium. Will he do an in-house promotion? Will he look outside? That I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I have it, like I have any knowledge on that because I don't. Uh, but if he does make a move here uh, in the near future, we'll certainly discuss that and, and what that looks like for Auburn. But it was only a matter of time before there was going to be change on the staff. This has been a staff that has been the same for, I don't know, near five years now, it seems like. There was going to be some some change that was going to happen eventually. It's just the way it is. It, it's, it was shocking that Bruce Pearl was able to hold the staff together for as long as he was able to and got to give him a lot of credit for that. But we'll see what happens there. And Again, Auburn can be in a lot worse shape. Alabama lost all of their assistants. Uh, this after this past season, just the way the, the world works. There's going to be constant turnover for your roster and for your coaching staff. So with that, we'll go to break, and that is it on Auburn basketball. We'll have plenty more. I'm sure as more transfer news comes in in the coming week and weeks to come, as well as maybe some more coaching news. But we'll be right back here on Talking Tumors for our final segment. Hot topic of the week. We're going to discuss how long should you give a coach, and we're talking specifically about college football here. It's a difficult topic, and, and it changes based on the circumstances and the resources, so I don't believe this, there is a answer that covers everything, in every situation, in every program. I think it has to be different based on the situation that you are put in, but it is a hot topic. Again, we are in a instant gratification world, and that's not just in sports; that that's in life, and that's just the society that we live in now. And so, we want immediate success from college football coaches, and and we expect immediate success. And the TCU stories, the USC stories, they don't help college football coaches. I'll say that the fact that um, that that has happened and that has occurred makes makes life more difficult for these other head coaches because you've also, along with those stories, you've got the Brent Venable stories. You, you've got the Mike Norvell stories uh, to, to go, go along with those. Not every coach gets immediate success. Again, Mike Norvell is the program that I just mentioned everyone loves to point to. People were ready to move on from Mike Norvell at Florida State after a rocky first couple of years there. Well, now they've got a team that they believe, and and I believe, next next season could compete for a national championship. But yet, they are ready to cut ties with him. So, that's why I'm saying it's not a one-size-fits-all type of scenario for coaches. But let's look at it from an Auburn lens. How long does, does Hugh Freeze deserve to get? as a head coach. And this is a quote that he said in an article uh, to Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports. So I'll read it, and then I'll then I'll give my thoughts. There's something to this place, speaking of Auburn. Our job is to restore that. How long that takes, I don't know. Will they give me enough time to do that? I don't know. But that stuff, I can't worry about. What I have to worry about is recruiting and building a culture here that believes they can win. That was Hugh Freeze, and I think that is a perfect answer he's focused on what he can control that is recruiting and that is getting the talent as we talked about earlier in the show back to the level that it needs to be at if Auburn wants to consistently compete for championships but he asked the question it's a fair question will they give me long enough if they if they only are giving me two years and they expect to have a championship program in year two or even maybe even in year three that that, that might not be long enough I think it's reasonable, as I said earlier, to expect improvement every year. But to expect a championship in year one or even year two, it's, it's not necessarily fair expectations to put on a program. My kind my kind of timeline that I kind of generally think, and I know Brian Harson was only two years, and I I thought it was way past time for him to go. But they were, again, it depends on the situation. Not a one-size-fits-all. You could tell things weren't working with Brian Harson. There were plenty of signs there. We didn't know them all in the public sphere, but they knew him behind the scenes uh, pretty quickly, and it was time to move on. But typically, I say three years. That doesn't mean that if you're not winning a championship in year three, you fire a coach, but that means you have to see – in that third year, this program is really moving in the right direction. Where's our recruiting at? What's our results on the field? What are our results on the field looking like? Are they improving? Are we getting more competitive? If in year three you're still kind of where you were in year one of a program, or where you were before you brought that coach in, then yeah, it's time. It's time to move on. Some would say five years. Some say you really need five years because of the transfer portal, the way it is right now. I, I, I lean towards three years. That's still short, that's still a quick leash. And again, for every coach, it's not that way. But I believe at a university like Auburn, I believe three years is a fair amount of time to get recruiting in there, to use the transfer portal. Uh, again, it's a short leash, but at Auburn, is, is, is different than, 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 let's say, at Texas Tech might be, where you don't have the resources, the money, the NIL, the whatever to say, in three years, you can you can build something really special. Although, you know, through Texas Tech, Tech out there, Joe McGuire is doing a fantastic job really turning that program around what seems to be awfully quick. But what we also can't expect is a Sonny Dykes year one. That happens. Those are more flukes and outliers. There There's a lot of factors that played into TCU getting to where they got, including, again, they were, they were a really good team. Don't take anything away from them. But you can't expect that happen. Same thing with USC and what they did did last season. Those are special circumstances. So I believe three years is fair for Auburn, for Hugh Freeze, and uh, and for most coaches at a lot of prominent programs. But again, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all. You have to look at your program as a whole and what you can really accomplish where you are at. But that's going to wrap us up for Talking Tumors today. Thank you all for tuning in and we'll be back Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on weaglefm.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle, and see you next time.